What a world. It's kind of a neat world. Uh, everything's coming full circle now. I, I think I've mentioned before that um, uh, now the epicenter of Christianity has gone south. I don't mean that in an idiomatic way. I mean it in a real way. It's gone south to the southern hemisphere, to Africa, to Asia, and what a world. Um, the gospel is going out throughout the world. Now, through people of, we think, well, these are Spanish speakers who now are going and taking the gospel around the world. It's a wonderful world we live in, and the gospel is flourishing, not so much in the Western world, but everywhere else. And we're a small part of the world, actually. The biggest, bigger part is, of course, Asia and Africa, and that's where God is doing a very great, great work. I'd like to draw your attention once again to the, to the slide up there, in it, not of it. That's, we're going through the, the book of Daniel, and Daniel's probably the best example in the Bible, other than Jesus himself, of somebody who was deeply immersed in the culture, not his own culture, a culture that tried to, to press him into their mold, and he refused. But that didn't mean he separated himself from the culture. He found himself at the very pinnacle of that culture but without compromising his principles. And that's really what God has called us to. And actually those words, in it but not of it, come from Jesus. Jesus said, I don't pray that you, God, would take my people out of the world. I want them in the world. But please protect them so that they don't just take on, as we normally do, the, the, the cultural values of our culture. We're to be in the culture but not of the culture. And now today we're going to look at probably the best-known passage in the book of Daniel and certainly one of the best-known passages in the whole Bible, one that you've probably heard since you were a child, namely Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den is actually a very practical story. It's not just about a guy who um, was thrown into a lion's den and God shut the lion's mouths and he came out and he was real happy. That's not really the point of the story. There's a lot more going on. And what's really behind the story of Daniel in the lion's den is a lot of what I would call political intrigue. That's what's going on. And so today, we're going to look at politics. But by politics, I do not mean national politics. I don't mean Republicans and Democrats. I don't mean that at all. It was Aristotle who said, man is by nature a political animal. By politics, what I refer to is what happens in every, every sports team you've ever been involved in, Every single classroom you've been in as a student, every club of which you've been a part, every church in which you've existed, every organization is full of what is called politics. By politics, again, I don't mean party, political parties. I mean how people are going to use their position to get a higher position. They're going to manipulate. They're going to use devious things to advance themselves. It was Paul who wrote in the book of Philippians. Everyone. And by the last I knew, that meant everyone. Everyone looks out for their own interests. Not the interests of Christ. That is the reality of life on the planet. Everyone is primarily looking out for number one. And who's number one? Me. I want to advance. I want to get what I want done. I want my agenda. I want that spot on that team. And I'm going to use whatever I can to get it. It might not be right, but I'm going to use it. Another definition. Politics. Activities within an organization that are aimed at improving one's status or position and are typically considered to be devious or divisive. 
every one of us is going to face that. And in fact, every one of us is probably going to be a political player at some part in our life. And every one of us is going to be played. Every one of us is going to be the object of politics. And so today we're going to look at one of the most well-known subjects of life, politics. Um, I thought maybe I'd uh, draw your attention to it. First of all, the Legos. Here's somebody who's very sad at their desk, two people kind of laughing at them behind their backs. Here's a common thing that happens to all of us in life. They're talking about you, but behind your back and out of earshot. But you're the subject of their conversation and usually gossip about you. None of us are not going to face gossip. Here's somebody who's at their desk, sad, probably because they're all alone. No one's, they're all alone, and it's not all that fun to be in an organization or a club or a team, and you're all alone. I love this one. This is a, a reality of life. People are going to use you as a bridge to walk on to success themselves. You're going to get used. It just happens. It's the way life works. What do politics look like in an office, in a club, in a team, in an organization, in a school, in a classroom? Well, there's clicks, and you have friends, and you have enemies, and you have allies, and you backstab, and you have rumors. Those are all kinds of things. I looked at this list, and this list has become rather um, pervasive today. Look at that one on the right list, sex in the office, that's been in the news every single day this week. Massive, massive problems. People using sexuality. To, to, to abuse other people because they're playing politics. They're using power. They're manipulating people through their power. It's incredibly common. It's just coming out in like a tsunami in our culture right now, an example of politics. What does it look like? Well, office politics, they did a poll. And uh, the most frequent thing that happens is you get go there's gossip in every organization, every team, every club. Every church is uh, gossip and gossipers. Flattery. Flattery is not encouragement, though they sound alike. Encouragement is when you say things to people that are true, intending to build people up, the other person. Flattery is saying things that are also sometimes true, but the purpose is not to build the other person up. It's to use them for your own advantage. Again, everyone's looking out for their own interests. I love this little one. If you're a leader, you're probably in the stapler business. You're trying your best to staple, to bring people together, to bring unity. And then there's a gaggle of people behind you who are staple removers. And their task is to try to undo what you're doing or trying to do. And if you've not been in that position, either as the gaggle of staple removers or the stapler, you will be. You will face it sometime. I love my work. It's the politics that wear me down. You don't know me very well. I've only been here six months. But I would say in my 35 years of being a pastor, that is my main statement right there. I love my work. I love the privilege of shepherding God's people and preaching the word and teaching the word of God. Politics absolutely kill me. And churches are full of politics. Guess why? We're people. I think we're people. 
We're not zombies. We're people, and where you put people together, you got politics, and it's a killer. Now, today we're going to look at somebody who faced politics in ways that are much worse than any of us have had to face. And yet he handled it with incredible grace. And so our, our goal today is to learn from Daniel. How do you deal in a world that's full of political pressure? We'll look at what it looks like and how to deal with it. I titled this, The Lion's Den of Life. And the truth is, we're all going to live in the lion's den of life. Every one of us, unless you live in a cave somewhere by yourself, and then you got to worry about yourself. That's a big enough problem. But if you don't live in a cave by yourself, you're going to have to deal in a real world where politics are going to be something you're going to have to constantly deal with. There are right ways to deal with it, and there are wrong ways. Today we're going to learn from somebody who did it right, namely Daniel. Our text of Scripture, Daniel chapter 6, as you can see. And it's going to begin with the painful reality of politics. What we're going to see in the first few verses of Daniel chapter 6 is we're going to see a, a perfect storm of politics. Here it goes. It pleased Darius. Now let me give you some background. Darius is the king who is over Babylon and the area surrounding Babylon, a population center of enormous size. He's not the only king. The true king, the true power source, is not in Babylon, but in Persia, present-day Iran, namely Cyrus the Great, the greatest of all the kings of the Persian Empire. But Darius is over Babylon, and that's where Daniel lives, and that's where he has the responsibility of, of overseeing this vast domain and this enormously big city, the greatest city in the world. The date... 539 B.C. Daniel, 81 years of age. Daniel had been in semi-retirement probably for quite a number of years. But Daniel was so incredibly good at what he did that King Darius, the brand new king, after having conquered the Babylonian Empire, he says, who's the best person I can get from the Babylonian kingdom? And they say, hey, Daniel, he's the best. And so Darius selects Daniel. Here's what happens. Darius decided to appoint 120 governors. That's what satrap means. It's a governor over a province. To rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. They would be like the vice presidents, one of whom was Daniel. He's an incredibly accomplished man. The governors, the satraps, were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. The goal was for the kingdom to operate well, for the people in the kingdom to live good, wholesome, free, peaceable lives. Just like the goal of any organization. If it's a school, if it's a team, your goal is to win games. If it's a club, your goal is to accomplish the purpose of that club. If it's a classroom, your goal is to try to learn something. If it's a church, your goal is to bring glory to God and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We have a goal. They had a goal, and they had leaders. Now Daniel, now here's where the tsunami starts. Daniel was so distinguished among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now you've got a problem, a big problem. 
Because now you've got this hierarchy, three vice presidents, 120 governors, and now the king is going to take one of those governors and put him over all of them. The, he's now going to be the prime minister. That's a problem. Because once you start to establish a hierarchy, immediately you've started to get jockeying for position. And people are going to want to go up the ladder, and so politics is going to become a reality. So now the, the news leaked that the king plans to elevate Daniel. At this, the administrators and the satraps were so proud and happy for Daniel. They were so glad that this man of such incredible, exceptional qualities and such competency would be put above them. Well, that's not what Scripture says. Oh, no, because that's not what life is like. When someone is elevated above you, you don't like them. You usually hate their guts, especially if they're good. Why? Because deep down in the human heart, there's incredible jealousy. And there's a striving for power. And we don't usually like when other people succeed above us too much. And so what do they decide to do? They're going to get him. They decide they're going to find grounds to charge Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they couldn't find any dirt. Now, the guy's got 65 years of government service. Can you imagine working for some place for 65 years and there's no dirt? Can you imagine working for five minutes without dirt? <laughs> 65 years of government service and there's no dirt on this guy. He's so good, they can't find any dirt. So what do they decide to do? They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. By the way, one of the things that the New York Times puts out every year is what's called the Corruption Perce um, Perceptions Index. It lists all the 200 and some countries in the world um, based on the per perception of corruption in that country from the least corrupt countries in the world to the most corrupt countries in the world. The United States does pretty well. I think last I saw we were like 13th from the top. But interestingly, the countries in this part of the world, namely Iraq and Iran, are way down the list. Now, this is 2,500 years ago, but base, when you have a corrupt culture built on corruption, it doesn't change overnight. In fact, it doesn't change in 2,000 years. And they are still known as some of the most corrupt countries in the world. And probably they were corrupt in Daniel's day. And if you got your position by means of flattery, manipulation, corruption, um, nepotism. You don't want somebody who's put above you who says, my major aim is I'm going to wipe out corruption. And by the way, Daniel had no corruption. 65 years of public life, and he was never negligent in his duties, and he, was, he never was bought off by anybody. And so everyone loved him. No, they didn't love him. They hated him. He had a huge target on his back. Not because he was bad, but because he was good. By the way, if you get through even your 30s and this doesn't happen to you, well, don't ever come to church anymore because you're so good you don't even belong here. But... Um, 
you're not going to get far in life where if you choose to follow Jesus, people aren't going to hate you. I promise you. If not only you, you choose to follow Jesus, you choose to follow the morality of the Bible, you will not be liked. Why? Well, no one likes to have their sin exposed. These people who probably got to their position as governors, some of them, many, many of them, maybe most of them, maybe all of them, by means of corruption, you don't like a boss who can't be corrupted and who's going to see through you. You don't like that person. you got a huge target on your back. And you might have people who are cutting away at your chair. They want you to fall. Maybe just to make themselves feel better. Because we like, if you are into corruption, you like other people above you who are into corruption. I remember, um, I think it was NPR I was listening to once, and they were talking about the, the Russian oligarchs after Putin took over. And, and they said that one of the things that had happened is after he took over, he called all the oligarchs into, into, into a meeting. These are the people who are billionaires. And remember, uh, Putin was, in the, was the leader of the KGB. And he called them all and he said, here's the deal. We know everything about you. And they did. And every single one of those billionaires had gotten their money by means of illegal means. Every one of them. Massive illegality. And Putin said, this is the deal. You say not a word about my government. You can keep up your illegal activities. You say one word about my government, I'll put you in jail. You remember what he did with one of the oligarchs right away who spoke out against him? Right in jail. That's the way government works. I'll let you keep up your corruption because he's corrupt himself. But you try to, you buck me, I kill you. What do you do if you've got a person who is, there has no corruption? That's the situation with Daniel. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. We can't, he doesn't break our laws. He's a good man, he's an honest man, he's a man of integrity. But we still can get him. Now why did they dislike him so much? Well, first of all, they probably disliked him because he's an old goat. I mean, honestly, can you imagine a president, uh, um, you know, and then he chooses a chief of staff, an 81-year-old. You think, come on, dude, can't you find someone a little younger? The guy's past his prime. He's an old goat, but a good one. He's very old. Besides, most people don't like authority. You want to do what you want to do. And when someone exerts authority over us, we often don't like it, whether it be our parents or our boss, or whoever it may be. We don't like that. It's typical. Because we like to be our own boss. That's just part of the human heart. And then they were jealous of him. When someone's way better than you are, and when you're in their presence, you feel dirty, because you are. You don't like that person very much. You might call them, oh, goody two-shoes, huh? Casper Milk Toast. You come up with names for them. It's because of their goodness, not their badness. But people are always jockeying for position, for power, whether you're on a sports team, a club at school, a church. It happens in all organizations. Why didn't they like him? There was actually spiritual conflict going on behind the scenes here. 
because there's a great hater of humanity that is always trying to disrupt, particularly churches. That's his greatest target. Doesn't like unity and love among one another. Doesn't like that. And Daniel was the consummate outsider. Remember, Daniel is not Babylonian and he's not Persian. He's Jewish. There's racism involved in their hatred as well. They didn't like this conquered person from this little tribal group who we don't like anyways. Well, so what did they decide to do? They're going to bamboozle the boss. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. Baloney. They didn't believe any of that. That's flattery. They didn't like the king. They hated his guts, and they're going to manipulate him now, and he's dumb enough to fall for it. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all... That's a lie. They never asked Daniel. He wouldn't agree to this. So they lied through their teeth. All agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now they're appealing to his vanity. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big shot anyways, aren't I? Yeah, people ought to pray to me. <laughs> the guy's just being flat out manipulated. Now who's dumb enough to want people to pray to them? I mean, isn't that good? Why don't you people pray to me for a little while? Yeah, what's that going to do your prayer requests? They're completely ridiculous. But he, the guy falls for it. He's a dumbo. But they're going to use the dumbo. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered. In accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed, they know the law. Now they're going to misuse the law to accomplish their dirty work. So King Darius put the decree in writing. He got snookered, and he fell for it. What does political gamesmanship look like? First of all, it's very... In politics, you never do it yourself. You always get a little team, a little pool, a little clique of people to do it with you. And then what is often employed is manipulative methods, usually flattery. You say nice things to people, but you really are trying to use them, not encourage them. And then you use things that are not true, maybe just slightly false. We all agreed to this king. No, they didn't. They never, they never asked the prime minister. And then they appealed to the king's vanity. And then they had a hidden agenda. Their real agenda was to get Daniel, not to have people praise the king. They had a hidden agenda, and they abused the law. They twisted the law to be used for their own advantage. They're playing games. Now, by the way, I hope as a Christian, though we are all in groups, this is not what characterizes us. Is this what characterizes us? We utilized manipulation, lies. We have hidden agendas. We're basically trying to promote ourselves or our friends and try to distance ourselves from our enemies, form our little cliques and clubs. What's our agenda? These are not God-honoring. How do I know? Because this is what God said. This is from the book of Proverbs, one of the great explicit statements. And interestingly, when you play politics, you break every one of the things that God hates. Here's what it says. 
There are six things the Lord hates. There are seven that are detestable to God. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. That is called Politics 101. And it's evil. No, it's not evil. It's worse. It's detestable to God. He finds this kind of stuff detestable. Why? Because this is what will kill every single group that's ever existed. Every church, every community, every team, you have these characteristics, you're dead. Well, this is Machiavelli. <laughs> if anyone should know, he should. No enterprise is more likely to succeed than one concealed from the enemy until it's ripe for execution. So they conceal this deed from Daniel, and now it's going to spring. Here's how it happens. We're going to see now how is he going to respond. Daniel is now going to be caught in the trap, this political trap of his quote-unquote friends. And see what happens. Now, when Daniel learned that, he had, that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? A picture of them. There's Daniel praying, and there they are peeking in the door, watching him at prayer. What did he do? When Daniel heard that this decree had been issued, what did he do? Now, if, if I were Daniel, I would just say, well... Uh, I, I'm not going to stop praying, but I got, a good, nice, I got a nice closet in my house. Maybe the bathroom. They can't see me in the bathroom. Well, what did he do? First of all, he, he found out, he learned about the decree. That's where he started. He knew what was going on. And then he refused to hide. Now, I would have hid, but he did not hide. Why didn't he hide? Because it was his custom. His custom was every day he would get down on his knees and he would face Jerusalem, the holy city, from which he had been taken as a young man. He faced that and prayed to God. And we're going to find out later in the chapters of Daniel, he, he read the Holy Scriptures because we got him quoting from Jeremiah. So now, he, then he defied the law. And remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the principle of civil disobedience was clear. If a government commands you to, to do something that God forbids or forbids you from doing something that God commands, we must disobey. And here they had forbid Daniel from doing something that God had commanded. And he said, I'm not going to play your game. I will not submit to this. He defied the law. He got caught. He accepted the consequences. And uh, we, have no, um, we have no incidents that he, he tried to appeal to the king. Peter, writing after the time of Jesus, Peter knew that Christians are going to be falsely accused, just like Daniel. And you will be too, by the way. All of us are going to be at some point. 
How do you handle it? Here's what he said. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, which will happen, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father on the day he visits us. That's what Peter said. So the king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Gotcha! Daniel! He didn't then say, Daniel, who is the prime minister? They said, oh, Daniel, you know, one of those racial group people that we hate. One of those from the exiles of Judah pays no attention to you, O king. That is rubbish. Daniel was the most loyal to the king of all these people. They said, oh, he does not pay attention to you. Another lie. Or the decree you put in writing, he still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was angry. He was not angry. He was distressed. Why? He loved Daniel. He knew that Daniel had been falsely accused. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, you can't change your mind. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. They got him. Even though it was against his better judgment, the king was caught, and he had to follow the law. So he gave the order, and they put Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Now, interestingly, I went online, and I just pulled off the Internet a few pictures of Daniel in the lion's den. I find them hilarious because they're all a bunch of bar uh, baloney. Um, <laughs> this one on the bottom in the middle shows him as a child and then there's some he's a teenager and then he's some as a young man and it looks like in some of them he's been out lifting weights and he's ready to take on those lions uh, no that's not true they didn't read their Bible this is what's true Daniel's 81 years old he can't take on those lions he's an old man I don't know any of you 81 year olds you might be able to take on a cat but you're not going to take on a lion <laughs> so people say okay bring him on like he's some superhero. He's no superhero. He's an old man. He can't. It, it's all about God. And so a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. Here, Daniel's probably catching some good Z's. And he's in a lion's den. And the king is in a palace. And he can't sleep. Well, the night passes. And, of course, Daniel now is going to show us how to play politics piously. Every one of us is going to be involved in political situations. How do you deal with it in a godly fashion? Well, really, the key, the bottom line to it is not your relationship with the people in the group, your sports team, your club, your class, your church. The key, first of all, is your relationship to God. Because that's the, the well out of which Daniel got his strength. And what did that well produce? It produced, out of his, his relationship with God, Daniel developed godly convictions of what is right and what is wrong. How to conduct yourself in your workplace with integrity and competency. He developed convictions. And then those convictions became daily habits. 
They were not just theoretical things he kept on a piece of paper. That's the way he lived his life every day with those convictions being a part of his everyday life. And then he developed a lifestyle not only of integrity, but known to be a lifestyle of integrity, which is what got him in trouble. And then he was refused to compromise in principle, no matter how strong the peer pressure and that's the problem, why we cave in our sports teams, in our classes, in our cliques, is we cave because we're, we're afraid of peer pressure. He was not afraid of peer pressure. And he didn't fight fire with fire. He said, if they're going to gossip about me, I gossip about them. They're going to abuse me, I abuse them. They hurt me, I hurt them. God says, no, 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 we don't do that. That's not a Christian way. That's not the way of Christ. That's not the way a Christian acts. We don't return fire with fire. That's not our way. You ever been thrown under the bus? <laughs> I'll bet you have. Many of us have. I have. It's really not any fun. Daniel was thrown under the bus, and yet he had behaved with incredible integrity. Well, here's the end of the story. What happened? Well, be sure your sin will find you out. might take a long time, but it was found out. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? There he is. Yeah, I like the picture. The lions are hungry, and Daniel is praying as an old man. Great picture. Daniel answered. O king, live forever. No flattery there. Daniel loved this king. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had, been fa had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and men of every language throughout the land. He now issues a proclamation for the whole of the empire. Here's what the proclamation states. May you prosper greatly, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of, Cyrus, of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. There's the end of the story. What resulted? Integrity won. By the way, if you're a high school or a junior higher and you're caught up in cliques and politics and teams and classes and all that kind of stuff, I promise you, integrity will win. I promise you. It doesn't look like it in the short run, but high school's pretty short, by the way. <laughs> Life's a lot longer. Integrity will win. And the king was impacted. The king now realized that the God of Daniel was the true God and Daniel's innocence was vindicated. 
It was realized by everyone now that Daniel was in the right and justice was served. Those who had uh, perpetrated all the gossip and all the kinds of bad things, they, they got what they deserved. And God was praised and the good news about God was broadcast far and wide. And Daniel and the kingdom prospered. And there's one more thing. That very king... Darius was under the authority of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And Cyrus is the very king who now issues the order a few years hence that the people of Israel can go back to their ancestral homeland after 70 years of captivity. So God is going to use this great event to bring his precious people back to the Holy Land where they're now going to live for the next hundreds and hundreds of years. Why? Partly because of the faithfulness of Daniel. I end with this picture of Daniel in the lion's den and Jesus, the lion and the lamb. If I had time, I would preach another sermon right now and I would compare in about 20 different ways Daniel in the lion's den and our Lord Jesus Christ. They're stunning. They're almost parallel on every single point. Daniel is the example for us of how to play life well in the midst of politics. But if Daniel was here today, he'd say, I don't hold a candle to this one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, when they played politics with me, God saved my life miraculously. But when Jesus was the subject of the same kind of politics of people who were jealous, he lost his life so that we could buy our lives. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the genius of Christianity. What God says is, I want you to give me your sin, which means you've got to acknowledge that it's true. You've got to tell yourself the truth. And if you give me my, your sin, God says, I'm going to take that sin and I'm going to place it on Jesus. And then Jesus is going to give you a gift. He's not going to return sin to you. He's going to clothe you in his righteousness. He's going to give you his goodness. That's a pretty good deal. In fact, humanity has never been offered a better deal in all of, in all of time and eternity than this deal that we could make this transaction by which we give God our sin and because of Jesus we receive his righteousness. Jesus, like Daniel, refused to play the games of politics. And what did God do through him? Through Daniel, God saved an empire. And through Jesus, God saved the world. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, I pray that you would use this incredible story of Daniel to convict us, first of all, of our tendency to play power games, to play politics. I pray, Heavenly Father, that if we're the object of political stuff, which we all are at times, you give us the strength, the competency, the integrity, the courage to stand. And I pray that you'd, like you so often do in time, you would show how pleased you are but above all, we're thankful for Jesus. 
And we're thankful for what he did for us on the cross, the ultimate gift. For this, we thank you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. As you go from this place today, may God bless you. May you be peacemakers, not politics players. May you be so filled with God's love that you don't need to have played games by which you seek the love of people who don't really love you, but you love them in turn. Why? Because God loves you, and Jesus gave his life for you. And he gave you his righteousness so that you could live in this world as a righteous person. God bless you.